You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Acrophobia. Fear of falling from great heights. Hydrophobia. Fear of water. Carnophobia. Fear of being eaten alive. Face your fears. Jurassic Park. The Ride. Only at Universal Studios Hollywood. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper. And it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm gonna have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! <laughs> Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlander. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around. Think your happiest socks and fly away with me to McDonald's. Or, or, or should I say Neverland? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But it's me. It's your spider pan head lost boy, Jeremy. And I am here sitting in a McDonald's. Uh, and we're thinking our pixie dust thoughts even in a McDonald's. Yes. But there's something special happening at McDonald's. What's that? Da -da 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 there's some incredible toys here. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. I am now, I think I've got, have I got four of them? Yes, I now collected four. Four, fantastic. Four. four. Yes, and I'm I'm protecting them because I don't want the dinosaurs to eat them. Oh my Because that's what this week's show. By the way, you're hearing you recognize this voice, I'm sure, right? I don't know, do they? they? They should, but Lost Boy Phil is sitting here with me because I'm giving Eric a week off because he's got convention crud, as we call it. And that's if you know, those of you who frequently go to conventions, you know sometimes you just get around a crowd of a lot of people and uh, you, you get sick. Well that's conventional. So, so hopefully he's doing better, so we're gonna let him have a week off. But this this week is half all about dinosaurs. Oh my goodness. Because there's still a Disney connection. Disney has a dinosaur ride and a, and a dinosaur park inside of the Animal Kingdom. Very true. So, but although this dinosaur park is, uh, well, not quite theirs. Yeah, yeah. Well, in a way, they are connected because Disney owns Marvel, and Marvel is not too very far. The Marvel section in the Universal area is not very far at all from the Jurassic area. The only I thing see. in between them is the comic place, and uh, so therefore, they are connected. You know, slightly. Slightly. We'll take what we can get. Absolutely. We will track our pixie dust. We just want an excuse because Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom has released this week. We will have a review of that here later. Yes, that and, one I'm uh, around. <laughs> yeah, not when Philip's around. Philip hasn't seen it yet, and I, I, wanna, I do not want to spoil anything. In he, a couple of days, I'll He's see completely it. ignorant at this point. I want to keep it that way so he can watch it with fresh eyes. But I did go see it this morning, so we'll talk all about that later. Also later, we're going to have part, well, not only what part of my eye, I guess part four, which is the second, the second part of my conversation with uh, with Jedi Schwa from Techno Retro Dads and Paul Berry from A Window to the Magic, where we were discussing all the fun stories that the Disney company and Walt himself have put into those Disney parks to where you, the stories you get to interact with and be a part of as you enter into the park. Uh, we'll have another part of that today as our continuing story of stories pretty much going on all through the month of June. Fun, fun, fun. But why have I got Philip here with me? I don't know either. <laughs> Thanks a but, uh, lot. I thought it would be fun to discuss some of our memories since we're going to talk a little bit about Jurassic Park. Oh, and by the way, later, uh, Eric took a ride on Dinosaur at Walt Disney World, so I believe I have some audio. I forgot to look it up to make sure I have it, but I'm pretty sure he sent me some. So we're going to take a ride on Dinosaur later. But cool. uh, Philip and I, we're sitting here in a McDonald's getting an Incredibles toy. Yes. Eating, <laughs> well, I'm eating something. Uh, but we thought it would be fun to talk about because we absolutely love the original Jurassic Park. And you yes. were actually telling me that the first place you really heard most about it was here at this McDonald's when you were working here. Yes. 25 years ago. <laughs> 25 years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. Yikes. Uh, 25 years ago, I used to work in this McDonald's. It was a different building, but the same area here. And I used to work here a lot. 
and I remember I used to have to work every Saturday closing, and I remember the week or two before the movie came out, we received these collector cups, they used to call them. Yes. And I remember that they uh, was trying to sell to get everyone's attention about this brand new Steven Spielberg movie called Jurassic Park. No one had heard of it except for the people who enjoyed the book. And I remember... Which reads like a science book. Yes, but <laughs> I knew about, I knew about it because of I had a substitute teacher who had told me about the book and he said that I'm really going to enjoy the movie that will be coming out soon. And uh, of course, we know the book and the movie are different. I personally like the movie better than the book, but I like, yeah. I like both, but I like the movie better. Anyway... We're thankful Michael Crichton had that idea. Yes, absolutely. Thankful for that in ER. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> so and George Clooney. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. No, but anyway, so therefore, while I was sitting here, I was uh, always washing the dishes late at night, and I remember I got my uh, glance over there to the, the cup for the first time, and the cup had a picture of the little Jeep or whatever they were, and not just the Jeep, but actually those, uh, what were those? Uh, those? They had Ford Explorers. That, well, whatever they had, they it was. Jeeps. Yes. This was the one where you can see the, the leg of the T-Rex coming down into the mud. Mm. You see the two children looking out, and I was trying to imagine in my mind what was going to happen in the movie. And the movie came out one week later, and I remember I personally was really wet back there washing the dishes. And I remember in the uh, on the cup in the picture there was rain coming down, mm. and so I kept thinking, what's it going to be like? Well, just a week later, I went out on Jan June 11th. I was with my cousins on the very opening night seeing this film, and I was absolutely loving this movie. So I went out and saw it again the next night, and then the next night and then two or three more times that week I saw that movie 15 times that year and then I saw it again when it came out uh, just about four years ago so I, I just absolutely love that movie I just think it's the one of my favorite movies of all time it is I think it's a great movie I love it yeah I think I remember the, the first cup we got maybe the only cup we got from McDonald's actually had the uh, the Velociraptor busting through the yes. window and they had uh, Ellie Sattler and Dr. Green yes. and the kids in the foreground of it wish I still had that cup of course I had them all because I work here I mean I get yeah. them all <laughs> so you get all the cups but uh, so I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's like a movie with like dinosaurs. This could be cool. Yeah. And I remember talking to you this one day. It was around vacation Bible school. Mm. And you were like, oh my gosh, this was like Jaws, except for they're on land. It was great. Like, and you're a huge Jaws fan. Oh, I still am. Still am. I still are. Yeah, I still am. Still are. Still yeah. Still I remember you were just so super excited. And it used to be a tradition after vacation Bible school on that Friday. We'd go to the drive-in and you went with us and we went to go see Jurassic Park. Jaws with Claws, we called it. <laughs> Jaws with Claws, exactly. But oh my goodness, I remember that. Well, that movie was, what was great about it, it was, a, it was an adventure, but it was also so scary. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, it was a tense. And I remember just leaning it really back. But I, I like you, I ended up seeing it about 15 times while yes. I was in the theaters. But I remember the second time I went to go see it, because, you know, my, my friends and neighbors, Jim and Nick McCoy, had not yet seen the movie. I was like, dude, we gotta go. So we went that afternoon, and it was funny, because I knew when stuff was gonna happen. Oh, yeah. Jim, yeah. Though, I remember looking over at him, and he has sunk away down in his chair, like leaning right back. So I was trying not to laugh, but because I was like, oh, yeah, see, this, this movie's like intense, you know. Such a great movie. And then I ended up seeing it multiple times because I, I dated a girl that we both really loved the movie. So it was at the Dollar Theater. I was nearly broke all the time. So I was like, yeah, let's go watch Jurassic Park again. I, I remember the third time that I went to see it. I think it was the third, maybe the second. But anyway, I think it was the third time I went to see it. I had this this uh, wonderful vet, uh, excuse me, jacket that was leather. And it had some cuts or something, some kind of slits in the uh, inside of it. And I was able to sneak things in. So I go into the theater, and we had bought some Taco Bell. And I was able to bring in an entire dinner for my cousins, myself, and some friends of theirs. And we we brought in everything. I mean, I was able to take out bag after bag after bag of Taco Bell. Being a big person, nobody suspected, because I'm already pretty stuffed myself. So I was able to bring out all this entire dinner. And there we were, all of us, just eating this huge you know, meal. <laughs> nobody suspected. I just remember this when people were sitting next to us. They didn't see how or where I brought it out of. But I remember it was like magic. We just kept we ate a whole dinner. Yeah, and I've noticed people don't care. We we no. like sneak some of the theater and like, yeah, we did too. I just know? think they looked at me like, where did that come from? <laughs> I love it when people go in there and they pull out their little baggies full of snacks that they packed in Ziploc bags. Yeah, because we didn't care. we didn't have bag or anything. Yeah, we just, just like you know, blah, magic. Yeah, I, I brought my own candy because it only cost me two dollars to the store when they would have charged me six here. But it was great because uh, sitting there watching that movie. 
and I just couldn't get over. I remember you and I went out both when I bought the soundtrack. Yes, I, 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 I bought the single first because they were yes. actually released on a cassette single of the I theme remember. and the anthem. And then I had to get the soundtrack. I had the soundtrack on a tape, and I, later I got it on a CD. I don't know how to play the piano, but I remember sitting there that summer, loving because John Williams you cannot beat him. I remember uh, sitting there, you know, ping ponging on the piano until <laughs> I learned Home Alone, also John Williams, mm-hmm. uh, Jaws, also John Williams, mm-hmm. Star Wars, John yeah, Jaws Williams. is a difficult dude. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember Jurassic Park. I mean, I was like John and Superman. I mean, all John Williams, you know, brilliant, brilliant music. Indiana Jones. Yeah. Go on on that. I actually bought sheet music because we had the piano in the living room there for a while. I bought sheet music and I was determined to learn how to play it. I never quite learned how to play piano. Yeah, <laughs> but I was, I was trying. It's like I wanted to play it the real way. And I just love it. It's, it's mm-hmm. one of the greatest movies ever. How can you be, you know, Alan Grant played by the great Sam Neill? Yeah. You know, and, and then of course Jeff Goldblum. Wonderful, uh, wonderful. The, the implication, the the, the 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 way that he that he, he delivered his lines. Uh, yeah, <laughs> actually changed the way I did my acting. I was still in high school at the time, and I was doing stuff in drama. And I remember there was a behind the scenes thing. I was singing, uh, I think it was Jurassic Park or, or something. With, with, and he talked about how purposeful he is to do that. He's like, listen to people talk. They stop and and and, and think of the word that they that they want to say. And right now I'm sounding like a, like a, like a, like a bad podcaster because I'm. Delaying, but I would do it in my acting. I started doing that on, on purpose because I was like, "Oh, Jeff Goldblum was right," because he was talking about you put those little pauses in, uh, because it's more natural. I have no idea what that was, but we just got shot um, in a McDonald's. Um, so I started doing that on stage, and I started doing characters like that, and I would I would do it on like on purpose just because when you when you read lines it sometimes comes out just you say it but yeah. if you would put that um, um, thinking of the words at the right times you have to Robert Duvall get overdo that. it sometimes Tommy Jones does it yeah. you know and it's wonderful the way they, they sound real yeah They're so brilliantly another one who does that another actor does it who I found out the other day was originally uh, thinking about playing that role Christopher Walken actually <laughs> oh wow what did that Malcolm. what did that been Wonderful. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Your scientists didn't stop to think. They, they could. They should have been thinking whether or not they should. That would have been great. <laughs> but it's awesome. I so I'm glad he didn't. Only because I'm so used to the great Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. And it's just kind of like I can't think of him as Han. I can't, as much as I love Chris Walker, are you kidding me? One of my favorite guys ever. But still, I just can't imagine anyone but Jeff because you get yeah. so used to it. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, so enthralled with the movie Jurassic Park. I love the toys when they brought them out. Mm, they didn't yeah. look anything like them, except <laughs> yeah. for the dinosaurs, of course. Yeah. But except for one character, I did buy the toy of Jeff Goldblum's character. This was like three years after the movie came out. They brought a wonderful toy of him. It looked identical. Wow. Had the sunglasses on and everything. I kept that for the longest time. I finally eventually gave it to a nephew because he got really into Jurassic Park. So I gave it to him. But it wasn't really hard, I gotta be honest. You know, <laughs> just because it looked so much like him. I was like, this is yeah. my Jeff Goldblum toy. Jeff Goldblum. He's gonna become a fly. Well, now you can find a fun pop-up shirtless and he and Malcolm. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, then he Which, can fight the, the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> the funny thing is, is uh, uh, I, don't, I don't remember how we got into the conversation with uh, with Pixie Heather. I'm going to tell a story on her, but she, the way she had said it, like, oh, I'd like to get that when I had mentioned shirtless. <laughs> exactly. I was like, really? You'd like to have a shirtless Jeff Goldblum figure, would you? She wants to get that. I was like, oh, no, no. She said, I would just want an Ian Malcolm figure. I'm like, uh-huh, you want the shirtless Ian Malcolm figure. I said, if you want a figure of Jeff Goldblum I'll buy you the Funko of like uh, the game. I, I keep on calling the Games Master, although that's not the right name. Uh, from Guardians oh, of the Galaxy, they have a wonderful Funko man. <laughs> I would love to have him that showed up in Pirates of the Caribbean itself. He would have been a wonderful, funny pirate, you know. He would make an awesome player. Oh, he would be great. I remember him as Ichabod Crane? Long time ago. I, remember, I don't think I've watched that since you showed it to me the yes. one time. Yeah. And isn't he in like a some version of the Pilgrim's Progress? I, yes, I think. I know he plays, he's the voice of Aaron. Which is Moses' brother, remember on the uh, yeah, and, Prince, uh, of Prince of Egypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's wonderful. I yeah. love him. Of course, Sam Neill. I got to admit, this movie when it came out made me a big fan of a lot of actors. Sam Neill being one of them. Yeah, he's one of the guys you didn't realize you'd seen him before. Oh, I had. Yeah, I didn't know. I say he was in Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Uh, Laura Dern, big fan of a lot of stuff she's been in. Yeah, now and she's in a Star Wars movie. She is. That's wonderful. Of course. I knew I had seen him before, but I didn't know what. I didn't know I had seen him at that time. Uh, 
thinking of Wayne Knight. I had seen one of yeah. a few things, but then I didn't know. Now I know, of course, he'd be a big Seinfeld guy. And I gotta admit, I hated him, but he's one of those guys I hate to love and love to hate. Yeah. Now I love him, you know, but yeah. then he was such a great villain. <laughs> he's so good at being a bad he's guy. He's lovable and hateable at the same yeah. time. Oh, he's great. Yeah. He's great. And that's also the first movie we ever saw Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, I hit. I, well, I'd already seen him in something actually. He was in um, a few little things, but one of the things, I remember it came out right before that or right after, right around that time, but uh, he was in that movie with uh, Emilio Estevez. What was it? Uh, it was kind of making fun of Lethal Weapon. What was it? Uh, Loaded Weapon or something like that? I don't think I saw him where they did a parody of that. Yeah. It was, I can't remember if it was right before that or right around that time, but he was always a good actor. Yeah. Everything he's in, of course, still is. Yeah. And now he's Nick Fury, so we're happy. Oh, yes. Great guy. See, there's Marvel connections in here in the movies. See? There you go. Chris Pratt. And come out. Frozone. <laughs> there you go. And he's Frozone. <laughs> See, we have, we have plenty of plenty of Disney justification to talk about the Jurassic go. Park movies. Justification. See, justification. <laughs> we can do it. That way you're not sitting around going, ah, 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 you didn't say the magic word, Disney. <laughs> not forget that Wayne Knight is also a Toy Story character. Remember? Oh, 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 yeah, um, the, the dude, Al. Yeah, the, the, the Al's toy barn. Uh-huh. Lousy yeah. try, Brian. That's right. <laughs> and not to also forget that he was also a Disney character. He was the elephant on Tarzan. Yes, he was. Yeah, um, so. I can't think of the character's name. Uh, I, I can. Ta- Tantor. 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 There you go. Yes. So, yes, we've, we've got enough actors to justify our conversation there about this. <laughs> so, so that is our talk of Jurassic Park, and uh, coming one up, other, we'll have a review. One other character, and I can't think of his full name right now, Played Santa Claus and uh, the Miracle Thirty Fourth Street, but he was the uh, oh, uh, um, late great uh, Sir Richard Attenborough. Sir Richard, boy, yes. he was great in that movie, wasn't he? Yeah, that's the first movie I'd seen him in. And then when I found out he was playing Santa Claus on that remake of Miracle Thirty Fourth Street, I was like all in. And I love that too. <laughs> I like the original. I like the new one just because Sir Richard Attenborough. I like both. <laughs> that's something I need on my phone just to have it play whenever for my phone ring. Welcome, Jurassic Park. Yes. So great memories. I remember the one thing I will say. Even though it was brand new at the time, I gotta say, yes, you know, the computer effects and all that. But I still think, for the most part, the computer effects of that first movie still stand pretty doggone good for the time. It really you, if you side by side them with what we can do now, they don't look as good, but it's still, it was, but it the was ones that in the, ooh and all moment. But when still, you first the saw ones it. in the dark look pretty good. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, maybe not the ones that are running, but even then, they didn't look perfect. But yeah. the ones now. Fair enough, we believed it. Yeah, absolutely. We believed it. And that, that's, I think part of the greatness of the movie is you have that ooh ah moment when you see the brachiosauruses there yes. at that first moment where they ooh and ah and then you see them they move in herds they do move in herds oh. and you as an audience are feeling it something unfortunately they're never going to be able to recapture because we're never going to have that moment where we're seeing a dinosaur for the first time oh, you can't on be, film you can't redo it yeah. so that, they that, keep trying though they do and that first time that you see first that feeling movie, was, that was so amazing yeah I'll never forget it uh, when I went to Universal and first saw the Jurassic Park uh, area. I remember I went into that building and I looked up and they had that uh, Brachiosaurus and they had the, the just like they do that movie. And I remember I could hear the music. Of course, part of it because they had it playing. Yeah. But <laughs> the truth be told, in my head, I had it playing before I even walked in there. Yeah. And I could hear the voices and by gosh, they have that uh, Mr. DNA. They had even, they have been there. And I swear to you, I felt like I was really, really there. I I swear to you. I, I could almost turn in my mind and see, you know, uh, oh, what's the name uh, in the movie? The, the old man. Uh, uh, I can't think of the character. Uh, Hammond. Hammond. Yeah. I could almost see them. I could almost feel like they were with me. And I, I was like, man, I'm here. I'm really here. <laughs> and then the ride. The ride is I've amazing. Seen some video. I want to ride it so bad. If it wasn't awesome enough on its own, which it was, but and this makes me sound evil, and I'm sorry. But what made it so great was not only was I having a lot of fun seeing the the brachiosaurus, the brachiosaurus, excuse me, and seeing the uh, the T Rex and all them, but my nephews were so much enjoying it and terrified oh. the raptors. And then the T Rex opens his mouth and raw, he, he's roaring at you, and you're going down this great big fall, and 
they're crying and we're screaming and yet laughing and it was so wonderful all at the same time <laughs> it was just a thrill and I felt yeah. like I was there yeah. I loved it well it's funny as some videos I've seen on YouTube when you get a, a too wide of a shot because yeah. the idea is if you're riding it you're all you're going to see is that waterfall you're going yes. down and the T-Rex you just see that but if you really get a full shot of it you realize there's this full T-Rex body on like this lever that just swings out and it's actually yes. this free swinging whole you can see the whole body just yeah, swinging on a pendulum it. it's really funny when yeah. you look at it the whole thing but it's still a great effect because you're only supposed to notice the T-Rex come through the water oh. not supposed to look at the full body and see he's on it not yeah. even on the ground he's just wee, swinging on a pendulum but when you're there and you have the big face coming at you <sighs> it is terrifying yeah. for the kids especially that was wonderful you should have seen the picture my nephew says they're <laughs> <laughs> screaming mouths open and, and of course I'm my eyes are thrilled us adults are thrilled it's the T-Rex it seems it seems so real it, yeah. but it was fun it was a blast I loved it every right. minute of it Disney's Animal Kingdom has their answer to Jurassic Park, yes. and it's called Dinosaur. Let's yeah, take a quick ride on it. But there. there, yes. Yes. And after that, we'll do a review of Jurassic World. Well, I will anyway. You haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Let's take a ride at a Disney park. Let's take a ride right now. Oh, oh. Hello there. Welcome to our little trans-dimensional joyride, folks. I'm Dr. Seeker, your friendly controller, and a heck of a paleontologist, if I do say so myself. But let's not talk about me, let's talk about you. And how you can help me make history today with the Time Rover. It's like this. If I can bring you back from the Cretaceous period, it stands to reason that I can bring back a live dinosaur with you. And not just any dinosaur. Take a look at this guy. He's an iguanodon. And I'm certain that he is the key to Otherwise, that's right. See? Securely locked. Access denied. Continue. Of course. We were just talking about seatbelts. Plug them in. Use them. It can get kind of choppy out there, so keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times. Flash photography? I wouldn't. It alters the homing signal, and that's not good. Oh, and one more thing. Those locked coordinates? We're in. Now, here's the drill. You follow the homing signal to the iguanodon. Then, I'll enlarge the transport field, and boom! You're back with one additional passenger extra large. And don't worry about that asteroid. You'll be in and out of there before it even breaks the atmosphere. <laughs> Trust me. What could go wrong? Hey, it's me again. Remember, only you guys are going on this special mission. So don't tell anyone, okay?
Warning, meteor shower in range. Just little one. Serious. Locking autopilot on homing signal now. Ah! Hang on. I'm tracking a big dino on the scope. Could be ours. Computer, full stop. Identify. Carnotaurus. Definitely not our dino. Go, go, go. Another big guy coming up. Computer. Slow and identify. Sauropod. Still not our dino, but at least this one's a vegetarian. Asteroid impact in 90 seconds. We better move it. Pterodactyl. Incoming! We can't stop now! Keep going! Keep going! Compsognathus. Computer, what's happening? Loss of traction. Four-wheel drive! Move it! Warning. Scientists and geneticists are at work on the process of cloning the selected dinosaurs that will live in our park. A miraculously the bioengineered. A central control, our nerve center for the entire site. Every creature is monitored on a continual basis. Nothing is left to chance. In the field, our park rangers are constantly watching the air. They are communicating directly with central control at all times and patrolling the site to ensure guest comfort and safety. And at the boat launching area, that's uh, where you're heading. Each and every boat is in continual radio contact with the home base and central control as well. Our land of park is better than ever. enjoyed your brief behind-the-scenes tour of Jurassic Park. And now, prepare yourself for the adventure of a lifetime. 
as you journey into the world of dinosaurs and our Jurassic Park River adventure, I guarantee you, nothing has prepared you for the adventure ahead. And so, from all of us, to all of you, thanks for coming, and have a wonderful day at Jurassic Park. Stegosaur Springs, our journey continues. Heavy armor plating protects these great beasts from savage predators of the period. Next up on our tour is Hadrosaur Cove. Like the vicious This concludes your tranquil journey through the world of the dinosaurs. Please join us again soon on your next visit to Universal Studios Hollywood. I've heard it said about a Jurassic movie that you shouldn't really expect too much. It's supposed to be, ooh, ah, dinosaurs, then ah, ah, run away from the dinosaurs. Uh, and it's just supposed to be stupid fun. Well, that first Jurassic Park movie wasn't stupid. It was actually very intelligent, and it was scary. And honestly, these films have ceased to really have that scary. They're exciting and thrilling, and they are, you know, action-packed rides uh, uh, for the most part, but so is a Michael Bay Transformers movie. Uh, and really, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I, it was fun and it was entertaining because you've got a great cast in there. I mean, you know, Chris Pratt, I mean, he's he's always entertaining. He's very charismatic. He's fun to watch. I do enjoy Bryce Dallas Howard as Claire. Uh, she's always interesting. Uh, you've also got some really great other actors in there. James Cromwell has a small part in there. Uh, you'll know him from Babe or from Star Trek First Contact. Uh, other characters are recognized. Toby Jones. Marvel fans will recognize Toby Jones uh, from the Captain America films as... Uh, I always forget the guy's name, but you know he was a uh, a scientist who created some pretty bad things there in Captain America: The First Avenger, and then later became part of the computer program 
and uh, you know, and the second one had that scary reveal that, oh yeah, Hydra's inside Shield. You know, he was the computer. You know, he's he's that guy. You'll recognize him. Uh, I didn't realize just how how tiny of a guy he is. He's he's not very tall, uh, but it's uh, fun to see him. He's he makes a good evil scientist. Uh, BD Wong, of course, back as Doctor Wu. Once again, you know, didn't learn his lesson that when he created the Indominus Rex that you really shouldn't mess around with these genetics and create new monsters because you're not creating new animals. You're creating monsters, uh, but they're doing it on purpose. Uh, we also have newcomer Isabella Sermon as this little girl Maisie Lockwood. She's the uh, the granddaughter of James Cromwell's Benjamin Lockwood, who is a millionaire who is basically funding all of this expedition back to Isla Nublar or Isla Nublar, depending upon how you uh, would pronounce that. I, you know, we usually call it, call it Isla Nublar uh, for fans of the original movies, but I've been hearing you know Isla Nublar because. You know, people who are named Isla, they'll spell it the same way, but they'll pronounce it Isla. And if you think Island, so I get it, you know. But you also have, uh, in this film, though, despite having some really good cast, a lot of very flat, one-dimensional characters that I really didn't care about. I didn't care. Well, except for I felt bad for one character uh, who was named Franklin, who's basically the stereotypical computer nerd who's, ah, screams at everything, you know, that stereotype. Uh, but I felt bad for him because he's kind of drug along into this and really doesn't want to be there. And so you're like, you know, it'd be terrible if something happened to him because he was the only one that seems to show any sense. The very opening of this film, we have a Senate hearing where Dr. Ian Malcolm, yay, Joseph Goldblum, is there. And he says, well, you know, we've discovered this Isla Nublar has a volcano that has become active. Let's let nature take its course. And uh, it reminded me a lot of in the first film when even John Hammond was saying, well, if I was trying to save condors, you wouldn't have a problem. And that's exactly right. We're not talking about some sort of endangered species. We're talking about something they created in labs, recreated, that they shouldn't have. We've learned this through four other movies. This was a bad idea. So as I, I even said on a previous episode, like, you know, if the, if the island where they're at is unfortunately going to go up on a volcano... Well, sorry, that's just, you know, maybe we should just let that happen. And Dr. Malcolm, at the beginning of this movie, he's telling people that. Although the very beginning of the movie, we do see there's some people who go back to the island to go and find the bones of the uh, Indominus Rex and take a bone in order to create their new monster. Uh, and basically, the, the plot is you have some villains who want to sell it on the black market, and you have people who are, you know, fighting, of course, for dinosaur rights, which Claire is a leading person of that, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard's character. So that is her, her cause in this. She's pretty one-dimensional. That's all she really wants. Despite Owen, you know, Chris Pratt, saying, well, he's not interested in going back to that island. It's like, okay, no, we... This was a bad idea, but she kind of convinces him to go because of Blue. Uh, they've turned Blue into a boy and his dog. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, Raptor. <laughs> you know, uh, and it was that was interesting. I did find that we get to see a little bit of background uh, with him raising Blue and how Blue is actually different from other Velociraptors. In fact, she's so different that at the end of the film, we're supposed to believe that she understands English. And although she can't speak English, she's understood she communicates in her own way to try to. Uh, uh, say something uh not like Jurassic Park 3 Alan uh but she's just kind of points with her nose to say no see this is what yeah what that would be and this is what this is what I'd rather have uh but that's as far as I can go without spoiling it you know what I I'm, for just a simple review I think if you go you're gonna have a good time but you may also have to check your brain at the door because this is a study in the stupidity of humans really every human does something stupid and a lot of them who do something stupid get themselves killed because they were stupid. And I, that's why maybe I I couldn't get into the thrills and adventure of this movie so much because I wasn't that concerned what happened with most of the characters. Because they were just dumb most of the times. Like, you just did a dumb thing. Some people are kind of, uh, you know, they have, a, like, oh, when I, I, you know, Chris Pratt, you're kind of like, well, okay, let's hope nothing happens to him. He's just trying to do one kind of thing. Uh, he's at least had some sense to say, well, you know, this is the dinosaurs were cool, but uh, we shouldn't have done this. But a lot of this plot starts when the government decides, you know what, this was a private business's thing. It's their private business. We're not going to launch an effort to go to this island on a foreign soil to go and pull these dinosaurs off here because what are you going to do with them? Uh, and the idea that, that Benjamin Lockwood, this millionaire, he wants to take the dinosaurs and move them to a different island. 
Well, there's an expensive operation that you're going to get none of that money back. There's, that's not an investment. That would just be, oh, I just think it's a good thing. Well, okay. But, of course, the guy who runs his business is this other fella who wants to sell these dinosaurs on the black market. This shouldn't be a surprise. It has been in the trailers. Uh, that, of course, uh, Eli Mills is his name. And that's by Rafe Spall. Uh, and, you know, I, I think he did, played a very interesting character. A bit one-dimensional. He's just a little bit of a two-faced villain. He's a little bit Hans from Frozen. Uh, you know, but you kind of see right through him anyway. But, of course, you know, he's got his other means. He wants to sell in the black market. I was surprised to see Ted Levine in there. Uh, many might know him from Monk. Uh, where you might not have recognized him as from the Sons of the Lambs. He was the villain in the Sons of the Lambs. I forgot the name of the villain, but, uh, you know, it puts the lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. That was Ted Levine, who later on Monk was the, the captain of the police force, which is more I'm more, more, more familiar with him and how I recognized him. Uh, and he's got a ba basic Muldoon character, also very similar to the character in Jurassic Park The Lost World where he's out trapping dinosaurs. But that only takes about half hour of the film. The rest, of course, is back on the mainland where captured dinosaurs are now going to be sold on the black market. We're going to also genetically try to recreate another monster because the Indominus Rex, wow, what a great creature. It managed to destroy an entire theme park. And so they need to make another one so they can sell it as a weapon because nobody learned their lesson from the last film, apparently. So... It's basically, we're dumb, we don't learn anything from previous mistakes. It's as bad as, I guess, a franchise slasher film where everybody's dumb enough to keep going back to Camp Crystal Lake. Maybe you shouldn't go there. So, yeah. But if you can get past that and just sit and watch the movie, it is some good popcorn fun and might be worth watching at least once. But uh, overall, they do set this up for a third film, which really, they have to have people be incredibly stupid to have this third film happen, but they do have something incredibly stupid happen at the end. Uh, and now I'm going to say something a little bit spoilery, so I'll give you a chance to skip ahead about 30 seconds. So skip now, go. All right, so instead of a zombie apocalypse, I guess we're going to have a dino-pocalypse because we've unleashed dinosaurs out onto the regular world roaming free, which is the stupidest thing you could possibly do. Uh, but as far as making a sequel, well, hey, there's a good idea. Here's your sequel. So they've pretty much guaranteed us a third movie. And why is that? Because these things make money. And this has already been a big movie in the box office to prove them right that we will go out no matter how dumb a movie they make and how dumb their characters are. We'll still go out and see it because it is stupid dinosaur chasing fun or being chased by dinosaurs. So, yeah, you'll have a good time if you go to this movie. But just check your brain at the door because it is, you'll sit there looking at the people like, why would you do that? That was a dumb thing to do. And this whole movie could have been avoided if people would have just left the dinosaurs to their island and on to their fate because they're supposed to be extinct anyway. So now, uh, with that being said, let's move on to our conversation with Paul Berry from A Window to the Magic and Jedi Schwa from Techno Retro Dads as we continue talking about the Disney parks and Walt Disney's storytelling inside of the Disney parks. To Disney and beyond. If you would like, I can get you a copy of the Q music for Indiana Jones. I would love that. That is yeah. absolutely fun, too. Well, oh. Email me uh, after the show and I will uh, get you set up. Wonderful. Yeah, that's actually something I'd like to track down because I actually have the cue music where, you know, outside you're supposed to be hearing a radio and there's some sort of a motor going and there's some great old tunes and then some ads and like a news story that plays. And I have that audio. What I'd love to do is actually go and find every one of those songs they used and find like regular copies of those. That's kind of a mission I need to get after because I know I recognize, um, oh, In the Mood, I think they play as part of it. And then Indian Summer. Uh, there's a lot of great old stuff because I love that old music. But that's a yep. great loop. Mouse, Mousebits.com probably has a list of all of the tracks uh, for both parks. Awesome. Okay, yep. so I'm going to have to check that one out. Mousebits.com. We're, yeah, ding, self promotion. Or not really self promotion, but yeah. <laughs> right. So, alrighty, so the next thing, at least in Adventureland, but I guess this would be New Orleans in, uh, in, well, in Disneyland, you're in New Orleans, which I guess, you know, is there a reason why they chose New Orleans for it to be an area for Disneyland? 
Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure other than, you know, the possibility possibility that Walt just liked that area and uh, and thought that it would be good for his park. Yeah, definitely from the photos I've seen, it has a really just kind of rich feel when you step into it. Yeah, it was originally Frontierland all the way back there um, and, and until you got back to uh, the uh, where the Indians were and things like that. But then they updated it and added New Orleans. Hmm. And so, yeah, it was something that came after. And it seems to fit very well with uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean being around New Orleans, you know. It just fits. Of course, it still fits, I think, in Walt Disney World to have it in Adventureland because it's like you're going to go on a pirate adventure. And that's that's one of the great things about every ride and attraction is you are part of the story. And in some cases, you're the star of the show as you get on to there. So uh, I remember other than the, the Jungle Cruise, that was, I think, the very next thing that I remember riding was Pirates of the Caribbean. And I really I, I really wish I'd gotten to see the original version and I've, I do have audio of it. Uh, of course, I'd like to have seen the original version in Disneyland because it's a lot longer. And, and Walt Disney World, unfortunately, they didn't intend to build a Pirates of the Caribbean because they figured in people in Florida wouldn't be interested in that. People in Florida said, no, we want one. We want one. So they were halfway through building something that uh, uh, Tony Baxter had designed and switched gears. So you got like a shortened version of Pirates of the Caribbean. But it's a really great fun. And this is everybody's favorite smell, apparently, is the musty smell inside there with all the moisture <laughs> but uh, i have a i have a candle with that scent <laughs> Funny, i was just gonna say if i could get a candle with the, that scent i would buy it so i, I when, will when, i will send you the link to that. <laughs> i was gonna say so when i send you that you can send me the other one this that this is this is advantageous here we're <laughs> This is where in the background you're playing Fortuosity, I think. That's, exactly. Yes. And I, I think I have a copy of that song, so I'll make sure I'll try to stick it in here somewhere. Yeah, so. don't. It'll be irritating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but see, that's what we do in Neverland. We bring everything together. So anybody have like a, a favorite memory from writing Pirates of the Caribbean, like the first time you wrote it? Uh, you know what? My favorite memory is not the first time I wrote it, but the first time that my daughters wrote it ah. uh, because uh, they were, well, especially my older daughter. She's just she was very scared of those types of things, you know, and and um, kind of freaked her out a little bit and didn't really know what to expect and uh, knew about it, you know, because we'd done lots of preparation and tell her where we're going and showed her all that stuff. But after writing it, it has become by far her favorite ride and she goes on it multiple times every time we're in both parks. Yeah, I love the uh, – I think you get better – the more more of the story in Disneyland originally where you would have – you get to see where, what's the remainder of the pirates of what has happened to them. And you get warned that dead men tell no tales and you now know the location of the treasure and beware of the curse of it. Then you kind of go back in time. You see where these pirates had raided this town, gotten the treasure, but then turned on each other. And the real curse of the treasure is their own greed and in a lot of ways this was making fun of pirates and you know how you're having fun kind of going on an adventure but you're kind of you know getting a mockery of pirates and how they just ended up because like we see at the beginning how they ended up they just killed each other for the love of the money and the, the treasure so but i love that story I, the thing is this and when i got by the time i wrote it in walt disney world they had already added jack sparrow in and so the story had been completely changed uh, but it, it feels a little disjointed in Walt Disney World because it's like a shortened version. Uh, the audio I've heard on Window to the Magic, it it makes a lot more sense even with the Jack Sparrow style story. Yeah. My, uh, my favorite uh, story for Pirates of the Caribbean doesn't revolve around a first time or anything like that. But it, being involved with the parks as much as I am, I know a lot of cast members. And one of the things that happens occasionally or used to um, is they have after hours uh, events to benefit charity. Mm -hmm. And one year I was invited to attend something called the Pirates 5K. <laughs> And as much as you would like to think that we got to run through the ride, we did not. Uh, what they did was they know how long the ride is, how many feet the ride is. And we went in and when we 
entered the ride the first time they gave us a punch card. We got onto the ride and we rode around. And when we came back to the load area, they punched the card once. Then we just continued on and went back into the ride again. When we came back around, second punch. And we continued to ride until we had ridden the equivalent of 3.1 miles or 5K. Mm -hmm. At which point we got to get off of the ride. We were given a pirate coin and some other little trinket. And then we went out into New Orleans Square where they had food and music and things like that for us to enjoy. And everybody and was it, a little punch drunk from having been punched every time they came around. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that yes. But we were definitely happy to get off of Pirates of the Caribbean after, I think it was nine rides in a row. <laughs> wow. Yeah, something, something like that. You know, six rides, nine rides, whatever it is. But it, it was definitely... Uh, I didn't ride pirates for a while after that. <laughs> I was just happy that I had missed It's a Small World 5K. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that song would not leave you for days if you did something like that. My gosh. Exactly. Nightmares. Nightmares. Uh, was it you or was I think maybe it was Ricky Bergani that they, were, they did something similar, I think, uh, in, in Florida, I guess it was. I think Ricky ran into Bob Iger actually in line. Or was that you? Uh, no, that wasn't me. I, I didn't run into Bob Iger. We did uh, run into the, the president of Disneyland who was in the jail cell with the animatronics. <laughs> uh, that might be what you were thinking. but Might uh, be. Yeah, because I did share the Pirate 5K, or mm -hmm. at least part of it, on um, on the show. So, Yeah, I think I do remember that. I, yeah, that's probably what I'm thinking of. I don't know. Somebody's going to have to go back through the in, Inside the Magic Archives, because I'm pretty sure that they did it in, in Walt Disney World as well. And Ricky had participated. I thought he, I remember him saying something about a Bob Iger. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay, um... So I'm trying to think if there's anything in Adventureland. Yeah, because on my way around, the next thing we do is Frontierland. Uh, now, in Disneyland, though, Adventureland, is that right next to New Orleans, or does that go straight into Frontierland? Uh, well, so they're kind of next to each other. Adventureland, uh, a row of buildings, uh, a row of buildings facing the other direction, and then Frontierland is over there. But our um, New Orleans Square is after... Adventureland and New Orleans Square is actually not done at Disneyland if you haven't done the Haunted Mansion. That's true. Yep. The original Haunted Mansion, because, yeah, it comes up a completely different location in Walt Disney World. Right. So, I very much look forward to seeing the Disneyland version, uh, because especially now that the Hatbox Ghost is in there. Yes, it's very cool. Yeah, very cool. Oh, I'm so excited. Because, you know, my history with the Haunted Mansion, because that that is my favorite. But uh, I am actually became a favorite of it because, let's see, I guess it was while I was still dating and, and tapes were still a thing. Uh, I went into a Disney store we had at a local mall back when before this mall was torn down. And I found a tape of the Ron Howard Haunted, uh, One Night in the Haunted Mansion uh, story. And I listened to that thing constantly. And then when I started finding some information about the actual attraction and realizing that it was almost the, a story of going through the attraction, I was, like, super excited to actually get on it and see it all for myself. Uh, but I've been a fan ever since I had that story. Although, you know, finding out that the Hatbox Ghost, although he's pretty prominent in the story, wasn't actually in the, the Walt Disney World ride, was a little sad. But it was really cool. A little bit of fun trivia. Uh, the voice of the uh, ghost host on that uh, story of the Haunted Mansion. You know who it is? Peter Renaday. That's right. The same guy who voices Henry in The Country Bears. Yes, and he's so spooky. And I'm surprised I didn't recognize his voice because, you know, I grew up with him as Splinter on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So you'd mm -hmm. think he, I would have been like, oh my gosh, it's Splinter, but scary. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, I still need to get him on the show. I've talked about it. It's like, oh, man, I got to talk to that guy. I still haven't done that. Okay, to-do list. So <laughs> so uh, do you remember your first time writing, either of you? 
No. Uh, the first time right in the Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that high school trip that uh, I went on when we sang with the choir. And I went with my girlfriend. So, I, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> Did you pay attention to the ride or were you paying attention to the girlfriend? <laughs> I paid attention to the ride, I'll, I will admit. <laughs> <laughs> Now, did either of you ever get to see where they had a live person in that one suit of armor to lean out? Absolutely. No. Yep. They used to do that all the time at Disneyland, especially during uh, Halloween and uh, the extra parties that they would have. They would have uh, live people in the mansion. And uh, it was it was quite disheartening to uh, <laughs> to go through and you know that it's just a series of doors in that hallway and you uh, are going backwards and all of a sudden, boo. And, <laughs> oh yeah. Not my, be still my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard one of the reasons why they don't do that all the time is uh, somebody actually punched somebody. Do they got, I would not that. surprise me yeah. at all. <laughs> so, and that's the thing is the haunted mansion. It's, it's almost got a bit of a story to it now, and I have heard uh, that there was originally a story of there was like a, a an old pirate that uh, his bride stumbled upon his treasure, and he, he thought she was a thief and accidentally killed her, and then he hung himself. Uh, there's so many different variations of what maybe the story was going to have been, and eventually just got turned into like, ah, this is just where it's the, the whole story is you have wandered into a haunted house. But now, oh. you know, we do have the, the Black Widow Bride, which kind of seems to lend a little bit of a, maybe there's a curse on the house because of her killing these multiple husbands, which now I wonder if the hat box ghost, because his head removes, if maybe he was one of the husbands and maybe the last one that finally got her as well. So they, maybe they killed each other. That makes sense to anybody. Is there anybody? I don't know. I I haven't heard that, but it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) I know they're, uh, uh, updating Phantom Manor in Disneyland Paris, and that's got a real uh, detailed story, and they're going to talk a little, or, you know, tell the story a little bit more of who the Phantom is. Ooh. So I would love to have seen the uh, the original version with uh, Vincent Price's voice still in it. Well, it they're is putting going it going back in. Yes. <gasps> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yep. So oh. when, I'm, when I'm there next spring, it will have Vincent Price's voice back in there at least for part of it i don't think it's taking over the whole narration again but uh, it will be featured in there once again oh oh my gosh i gotta go <laughs> i got chills. on your list right after fort collins and... uh, yeah <laughs> oh may not necessarily do it in that order that might have to jump to the priority list if it's a limited thing because i guess are we coming up on an anniversary for paris is that maybe why they're doing this no, I guess they wouldn't because I guess that opened in like in what ninety four. I do not recall. So, hmm. Oh my gosh! But yeah, this speaking of like the you know the Disneyland mm-hmm. Paris and the the Phantom Manor, I love that their version of Frontierland. The entire story of Frontierland lends itself into the Phantom Manor, and even their version of Thunder Mountain is part of the Phantom Manor story. Uh, that, I, that, they, you gotta give, uh, I think it's probably all Tony Baxter's idea. I mean, cause that guy's just a genius. And then th- Big Thunder Mountain is really his baby. So I, I really think you know, it's gotta have been Tony Baxter has just had to have been in on it. Cause I know he worked on Disneyland Paris, but uh, to have the whole story with, uh, and I, I, I think it gets a little convoluted between different people who, when they try to figure out the whole thing, because some of the story is written down for you somewhere and the rest you have to kind of piece together as you go through the Phantom Manor where you had this wealthy mining family and this town that was built around this mine of this Indian curse of like, no, you must not go and mine and delve too deep into the mines. They do. This earthquake happens. It wipes out most of the town. It kills her parents. She goes to marry a guy that her father didn't approve of. His ghost apparently shows up and murders him. She doesn't know about it, and the bride wanders the mansion until the day she dies, or comes to a premature death and is frightened to death because all the townspeople come on her wedding day and show up. You know, there's so much variety on what's actually going on inside Phantom Manor that it's hard to tell what the story is. All I know is that I, that's pretty epic with the music in there. You know, you should get Tony Baxter on the show here right after Peter Renaday and right after your trip to Paris <laughs> and right after Fort Collins. And 
Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I can see me trying to contact Tony Baxter, and he's going to do the Neverland what now? Who are you? And then they'll be like, yeah, okay, I tried. But, you know, I guess you don't know unless you ask. Exactly. So, I can try. But I've got a really good uh, video. I, I don't know where this was made and uh, or what the deal was, but I've got this DVD of it where Tony Baxter, uh, somebody was filming him, and he walks through the Haunted Mansion in Florida and talks about uh, – he basically talks more about the Paris and, and what they did with, to making it and talks about even at the, the door knockers, he wanted to pad them and actually add a sound effect to where there would be more of a boom, boom, like in the haunting film instead of that tap, 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 tap. So, but there's, I don't know where that video, you know, why it was made or anything. I have no idea where it came from, but I, I, I found it online. It was all formatted for DVD. I've burned it. I've watched that thing a few times. I love that. That is so cool. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? I have not seen that. Uh, I think there's some clips of it on doombuggies.com. I think that's where I first found out about it. Uh, There's some great footage in there and... Oh, my goodness. You can learn a lot. It is really cool. So I, I don't know if it's titled, and I don't know why it was made. It's at some point after hours. It's just Tony Baxter and somebody walking around, following him around the mansion uh, with a camera, and he talks mainly about what they were making in Paris. He compares it to Paris a lot, uh, but talks about some of the design. It is very, very, very cool. So, okay, I guess we should continue into another story uh, into Frontierland. Speaking of Big Thunder Mountain, uh, the story apparently in Disneyland has been expanded. I haven't heard anything about it being expanded, but then again, I'm not all that big on the stories of the attraction. So what have you heard? Well, I with recently with the changes, I guess they've... they've uh, Added in a little bit more detail, there's a picture of a guy, and it kind of looks like Tony Baxter, but he's supposed to be like the the, the mine owner. Uh, and now with the new effects uh, of, at the end of it where, like, the mountain, all the dynamite detonates. Uh, but the only bits of story I really know other than that is that it's supposed to be about a mine train that has mysteriously started running on its own. And everybody just decided, well, it's a heck of a good ride. And so all the townspeople just <laughs> hop on the train, even though it's there's no driver. So, But I, I thought they were going to flesh out a little bit. Maybe it's in uh, Walt Disney World. They added a little bit more detail to the story. I was going to say that I think the, the portrait is in Florida. Oh. I think. Schwa, have you seen that over there? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, well when, <laughs> when you go to Florida on your there bucket list item there, you can just add it to your list. Uh, yeah, I'll take a picture of the portrait because I've heard that they were adding in things and making that story a little bit more fluid. You can call this my bucket list. <laughs> exactly. That'll be the, the title of this series of shows. <laughs> yeah, things I will plan to do. Uh, but also in uh, Frontierland, now I guess in Disneyland, at one point they were calling this area Bear Country because of the country bears being there. But uh, this is also where Splash Mountain is located in Walt Disney World. I figure, is that the same place in Disneyland? Nope. Uh, actually, Big Thunder Mountain is in Frontierland. And uh, the country bears and uh, so now Winnie the Pooh and Splash Mountain are back in Bear Country slash Critter Country slash Indian Village, depending on when you used to go. <laughs> and as uh, you have said many times, Opu. The, um, to, to give you a clue as to, to where they're located, Big Thunder at Disneyland is basically where the Haunted Mansion is in Florida. And then Splash Mountain is where uh, probably Pecos Bill's is and then uh, Winnie the Pooh is over where Splash Mountain is in Walt Disney World so you're probably totally confused now yep but but that's pretty <laughs> much where they are yeah see now I wish uh, I've got a map from one of my professors uh, actually went over Christmas to Walt Disney World and brought me a map back to see what all has been changed because that's one thing that's constant is in the Disney park is change uh, so, but there's definitely uh, some story in Splash Mountain, uh, even for a movie that is not really, I mean, it's a controversial movie to some and a, a movie not many people have seen. Some people, I think, even forgot that Song of the South exists, but everybody loves Splash Mountain. 
And you've got an entire story right in there. I, I What I loved about when I first wrote it is I felt like I was in a cartoon. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a lot like that. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Anybody yeah. got any special memories about it? I uh, the the only story that I have about it is in in Florida, as you're wading through the line, uh, you can hear little critters mm-hmm. uh, in in the the uh, in the queue area, and one of them is playing a uh, a fiddle poorly, very poorly. <laughs> And uh, that is actually a, f- a friend of mine, a listener of the show, and uh, Imagineer Don Carson. Wow. And uh, I was talking about it one time, and I got a message from him, and he said, you realize that's me, right? And uh, yeah, they just uh, they just went in and pitch-adjusted him. They recorded him playing it, and, and then they pitch-adjusted it and put it in there, and so that's, that's, and- uh, that's done. And suddenly he's Jack Benny. Exactly, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Rochester. (laughs) Well. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions, and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello, everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you.